Let's do this. Hello and welcome to the uh, Uncut Gems podcast. This is the episode number one and my name is Jakub and today I'm joined by Jack Lukshaw. Thank you for having me Jakub, it's a pleasure to be here. And Carson Timar. Hello, hello, I'm very excited for this. So before we begin, and it's probably a good idea to just explain why we're here. So the idea for behind this show is to launch a sister a sister show to uh, what, what's now known as the Clappercast podcast, which is our Clapper's little uh, film show where we just go through new releases and um, talk about them at length and then just, just do, I don't know, talk about other things as well and lose the plot half the time. Uh, but this one is specifically devoted to uh, going a little bit back in time and then looking for films that may have gotten lost and may have been a little bit orphaned and forgotten and then seeing if they're uh, any good. Um, however, the, uh, the caveat is we're not redoing really the Nicholas Winding Refn sort of, oh, let's restore uh, sort of forgotten exploitation films from the 50s and p- pretend they're not shit. It's, it's a show where we'll just get together and go through films that you may have heard about, you may have even seen, and then you might f- have forgotten about ever liking them or you may have you know even known that you could have liked them in the past because you have overlooked them um or these are films that you know you might actually enjoy now especially in you know when cinemas are closed and then you know new releases are 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 what they are so here we are and today we will be launching this new endeavor and then um the idea would be to uh do these things every two weeks for now and uh look at uh, uh, well, today we'll be looking at a film that was released in 2000, in the year 2000, 20 years ago in a bit, uh, and its title is Mission to Mars. This is a truly anomalous formation. It's unlike anything that we've seen so far. We're trying not to go too nuts up here, but we think there's a good chance that this could be water. Of course, if that's correct, then we may have found the key to permanent human colonization. Yes! Okay, we're ready to light this candle. Let's go to Mars. So, for those of you who don't know, Mission to Mars was a science fiction epic that was released in the year 2000. And um, it was basically about, a, you know, as the title suggests, a mission to Mars where a bunch of people went to, to Mars. They've discovered something strange and they had an accident and a, and a search and rescue mission was sent be, uh, to retrieve them. And then starred Gary Sinise, uh, Tim Robbins, Don Cheadle, Connie Nielsen. It was directed by Brian De Palma and written by Jim and John Thomas. These are two brothers who are responsible for, by uh, so such such great films as Predator, Predator 2, and Executive Decision. So you can kind of have an idea where we're going with this. However, um, there's been 20 years since this film, film was released, and um, it has kind of falling off, falling off the radar for, I want to say, the vast majority of people. So I'm going to throw it out to you guys. 
Um, do you have any history of this? Do have you seen this before? Is this the first time you've uh, you've seen it as part of preparation for this little get together, or um, uh, you know, what? Where do you stand on this? Say, sort of like the general impressions. I'll I'll start because first and foremost, I'm actually quite a huge admirer of Brenda Palmer. I have been for like quite some time. I, one of my favorite films of his is Snake Eyes, which I, I generally hope we do cover on this this podcast in the future. Um, as of late, I'm, I'm doing something on, on one of my university courses about Brian De Palma, so I've had this newfound level of respect to them. Mission to Mars has always been one of those films where I've left it almost to last to cover on his filmography. The first time I probably saw it, though, was probably early 2010s, something like that, maybe 2010, maybe 2011. I mean, talking about leaving it really late, considering his filmography. Um, not for any particular reason, just because... It always used to be on television at certain times of, of like the, the, the night. The adverts in England, I'm not too sure if they're similar in the US, but there's like an advert every 15 minutes. And it's one of those films where sci-fi, if it's ruined by pacing, advertisements just kill the whole atmosphere. So it was always something I, I could barely get into and then I could, I could barely sort of keep with it. So I always waited for like the, the chance where I could just watch it in its whole, um, you know, gargantuan two-hour runtime. So a couple of years ago, I did do that. I went through all of Brian De Palma's filmography, which I found to be incredibly interesting, to say the least. All of it? Um, not all of it. I, 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 there's a few I've missed. I missed home movies, because you could literally only find that, and I think he owns it. I've not seen Wise Guys. Um, at that point, Domino hadn't come out. And I think um, I, I, I hadn't seen Passion, and, and then I hadn't seen Redacted. Have but you most seen of his, his early comedies from like with Robert De Niro. No, I haven't seen. No, that's no. I haven't seen um, High Mom. I haven't seen stuff like that. I do know Arrow, Arrow Video have done a release on it, and I I, I have got them, genuinely. Oh, so just <laughs> Yeah, I've I've got them in cellophane in my front room. So if anyone wants to make a bid on that, I'm happy to hear the offers. But I, I've pounds. seen like the, yeah, I've, I've seen I've I've seen the core of it. So when we start with Kara in called seventy six. And then we get to like early 2000s, this period, and we get to sort of Mission Impossible era. That's when I, I sort of see his core filmography. And, and as, as of late, we'll talk about De Palma, I'm sure, in this, because there's a lot here that goes wrong with having De Palma in, in, as, as his voice piece, let's say. But there's also a lot here that with him makes it. And I'll, I'll let Carson go on in a second. But for me personally, finding this film consciously, this was always left last. I'm, I'm, I'm going to find it very interesting to have this discussion with you both and sort of find out why, because it's just not a film where I see it, De Palma as a necessary film whatsoever of his filmography. But I'll throw it over to you, Carson, because I'm, I'm generally not, not sure how anyone else would have found this either. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting to talking about De Palma because largely he's one of those filmmakers who's just been a large blind spot for me. I have not seen a lot of his features. I don't have a long history and never saw Mission to Mars until watching it for this podcast. Um, and I didn't really know what to expect from it considering like the gimmick of this podcast, right? Is like these are strange features that have something to them. And I was watching this film and to be honest, I was bored shitless by the first half of this film. Could like, I was just sitting wow. there watching this stale, <laughs> hor- like horribly made, horribly acted like space drama, didn't do anything for me. I was like, Yakub, what the fuck are you doing, bud? Uh, last half was so incredible. <laughs> last half was batshit crazy and I loved it. 
it. Um, I really, really enjoy just how crazy the film gets. I don't know objectively if I'd say like this film is great and I still think it's quite painful to get into. Um, I really enjoy the last half though. I, I must admit, just, just for yeah. clarity, like when, when you talk on this podcast cast and when we've both done this and also when I've, when I've listened to you, when you, when you've guessed it and when you've hosted on, on multiple occasions, I always found that me and you always sort of meet in the middle with our sort of our ideas and our opinions usually match. I don't know how you're going to take this because um, obviously so it, it, it being a blind spot probably answers my, my, my question, but I'm, I would say I'm a fan of Brian De Palma. Knowing how we both have very similar opinions, I, I probably would guess that that's as far as I could probably put that in your, uh, define you as a fan. I, I think you would. Yeah. I've enjoyed what I've seen of him. I don't think I've seen a single film like I think is worthless or bad. Like even this film, like I said, once it really gets going, I enjoyed it. So no, I I would say I'm a fan of his, even if I haven't, you know, obviously dived into his filmography. That's an interesting perspective that you you can kind of just bring to this because, you know, like you can can watch this without sort of, oh, oh, this is a split diopter shot. Oh, this is this Hitchcock thing. This is what, because he he has a toolbox that he keeps using. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it will be, I think this is this going to be the first time ever recorded on you know on record uh, where uh, the perfect marriage between Carson and Jack Loop are uh, is going to uh, have its first little. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think we, I don't. I can't remember if we brought this up before, but we we both seen a film called Fried Barry. <laughs> if any, if anyone's seen the film, they'll understand perfectly why I like. There's a hint of laughter there. I can't remember if you enjoyed that film, Carson. All I know is that I enjoy it for what it is, but it's fucking crazy. Oh, I enjoy it. It's deeply problematic. I like. I can't say I love it because it's Ooh, yeah. just like clearly homophobic, but also clearly <laughs> fun as fuck. Like yeah. it is might, so fun. I might need to just clarify a few things after that comment. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't in any way could. Uh, no. <laughs> I just think that that film from the minute it starts to the, to its sort of. I, I want to call it a finale, but even that's sort of like contradictory what the film's all about. It, it, it's fucking crazy. And there's a lot that goes in that film where I'm like, wow, this, they've, they've, I appreciate that they've gone for, gone for it, even if that entails them making some wildly questionable decisions in that film, socially, culturally, you know, even discussions of sexuality are in there. It, it, a few of them are, are, are very questionable, but... I don't. I just answer your question. I don't think we've. I don't think we've actually ever disagreed massively on a film. I think we both. Peninsula we... might be the largest because I really like that film, and you didn't like it. Which one was this, Laura? Uh, Peninsula. Uh, Peninsula. Train to be Swan Two. Oh. I, I, I think even then we met it. in the we met in the middle, pretty much in the conversation. Yeah, because I'm a massive fan of of Train to Busan. I'm not too sure if you were. I, I liked. I like. I'm not a huge fan, but I liked it. Oh, it's a five yeah, star with a heart yeah. on letterbox for me. I'm I'm not even kidding right now. Oh no, Peninsula was bad. It is well. I'm, I'm so glad you brought Peninsula up because I I think it's appropriate to look at that film weirdly enough and compare it to this as well as what other films are going to compare it to because that is a film that's quite clearly it, everybody knows what that film has to be about and the directors come in there and they've tried to subvert expectations and they've just wildly gone off track instead of following the route and you know driving then in a, in a sophisticated and, and, and well 
preoccupied manner. This is just reared off the side, crushed into a wall, and it's limped over the, of the line. I think both films are very, very similar, just in different contexts to, regarding genre, plot. I, and the other probably thing I think Peninsula probably gets right over this is casting. And we're going to go into that because there's a few bits in there where I'm fucking mortified that Brandon Palmer had something to do with it. Jesus. <laughs> and, and anyway, I think what, what, I, what I need to do for future episodes get a ramble alert. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, we've gone so far off track right now and it's not even like Carson five minutes in. Holy shit, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. And anyway, <laughs> Mission to Mars. Peninsula is a good movie, everyone. By the way, let's just be very clear: it's a good zombie movie. I I'm waiting for it for it to kind of go down on in in price on Amazon Prime because for now it's kind of like, am I do I want to spend ten pounds or something like this on this? Not sure. Um, anyway, so okay, so for for you, it's okay, let's get back. Let's back. This is this is a conversation with Jack every every single time. Yeah. We're just gonna go into like these meandering tangents <laughs> I, you know to be honest I did I did sort of refrain from saying I hope I can't wait to lose my cortex and then I thought like am I going to sort of I'm just going to continue the conversation so I won't say it I have done anywhere so I do apologise but no, if you okay. want to go watch Peninsula you do it but I don't condone that in any way <laughs> uh, yeah you watch it on your own you watch it on your own time <laughs> yeah watch it um, on iPad as well right, uh, okay. you can do iPhone yeah yeah, as I as, as I said on the regular show, just if you really want to, you know, stick it stick it to the man, just watch it on your phone, but minimize the screen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Do something else while you're watching it as well. Let it be background yeah. noise. Get, get Ideal phone. situation for Tenet, right there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, mission to Mars. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, mission to Mars. Yeah. So, so I have a bit. I mean, I don't want to say I have a bit of a history, but I did see it in the cinema when it was originally released. Yes, I am a bit older. <laughs> uh, and I was a teenager, and that was one of those things that I was kind of like, I don't know, just just getting into cinema, and and, and I think I I, I I did see Mission Impossible that was released a little bit earlier on video, and I really like, really really loved it at the time. But you know, like when you're like 13 or 14, like you you'll love anything, right? And then and I was thinking, oh, this because I never knew what who Brian De Palma was because all I knew was Mission Impossible was great, and he made it, and apparently people were saying he's he's a good guy so i was just okay well he's there's another one he's he's done a snake eyes i didn't see because i think it was um 18a or something like this so i couldn't rent it um but i went to see mission to mars and i was like what the fuck is this so i kind of watched it and i was just yeah immediately just evaporated my mind and then just i, I basically just saw it second time like three days ago because it, but it was for the last I want to say year or so when I was kind of just growing to to put this thing together, uh, it was kind of just in the back of my mind as something like, well, maybe, is this one of those things that you know, like I should remember because it's probably great and no one knows that it's great, and then let's give it a second chance and if if we're doing this then might as well just make it a make it a show and then let, let other people, you know, listen to how we're struggling through uh, through the English language. Um, but yeah, so I, I I don't want to say I have a nostalgic connection to it, and especially like now when I when I rewatched it, I was like, ah, yeah, I I had, haven't remembered a single thing about this. But I have to say, like, so there are certain things that are very De Palma about this that I really like, and then this is this is where I probably I mean 
Carson's opinion is going to be quite, pretty cool on this because he, you, have, you have no idea what, like, about the Palmer. So like when the film opens, it's one single unbroken take of like 10 minutes of mingling through a party. And then uh, my first impressions were like, this looks like the uh, opening to Apollo 13. Like when the, like, <laughs> all it's missing is Tom Hanks with, a, with his thumb going like, ah, looking at the moon. But like you, you look at this and you realize that this is, this is something that De Palma never would have made on his own, I don't think. Because I think, because I did some, did some searching, I think I remember from uh, the De Palma documentary that Noah Baumbach made with, Somebody else, I can't remember his name now. Jake um, Paltrow. There you go. <laughs> Jake Paltrow, yeah. Wonderful documentary as well. Yeah, Thank but he, uh, he, he talks about this for exactly like 45 seconds. And he says, oh yeah, I did Mission to Mars. And he was, he was apparently hired to make this because the previous director walked away. So it was because they spent so much, so much money on... No, he, he was complaining that the budget was not enough or something like this. And because the producers wanted a big epic because like after, I want to say, Independence Day, I think, like Hollywood was like, yeah, we're big on science fiction. Like, I can do this. Every single science fiction script that's just in the development hell, all, all of a sudden it's getting greenlit. Like, like there's been like a resurgence, like The Imposter, the... Uh, in, I can't remember what it was. Like Pitch Black, I think it's from the same more or less time. And Pitch Black was like a unproduced script for Alien Three, I, I think. And then all of a sudden, like Hollywood wanted this, and they hired De Palma to take over a project that he would have never ever done himself. And this is why I, I kind of feel this film's kind of special because it's wild as fuck. <laughs> because it's like I, 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 I think halfway through the film, when they when when they have this sort of little. Uh, they have to abandon ship because it's, you know, getting destroyed by micro asteroids or whatever. It kind of feels like if Alfred Hitchcock made a science fiction film in the 60s, this is what it would have looked like. And I was just like, I'm actually digging this. Even though every single time Don Cheadle's, <laughs> Don Cheadle's on screen, I'm like screaming because I can't stand this man. I don't know why. Maybe someone can tell me, but I have no idea why, but he just annoys me. Well, on that note, do you know when you said this was like one of the first cinematic experiences you had? Like, and well, you it's know, not, not one of the first ones, but it's like because you know, like I've in like I saw Jurassic Park in the cinema when I was like eight, right? So I, I think that was my gateway drug. Um, but yeah, but it, it would be one of those that I actively uh, would would seek out because uh, oh, it would come, it would be coming out. So I went to the cinema and actively, consciously bought a ticket and said, "I want to see this because this guy Brian De Palma, apparently he's very good." And I sat through like almost two hours of this and I had no idea what happened. But yeah, because I, I think I think that's a telling tale in its own right. Because I think when films like this come out and and they are they they homage quite influential pieces of work, which I, obviously the the influence here is quite clearly 2001 and it has that all over its being, which is interesting concerning De Palma because his homage is consistently being Hitchcock, which I think is something definitely sort of relates to the, uh, to the ex-director, which weirdly enough is Gov Babinski, who before, before making this had made Mouse Hunt. Now I actually adore Mouse Hunt. The Christopher Walken thing in there is like genuinely amazing. Lee Evans, Generally amazing. I think the soundtrack to that film is astonishing. It's a big, it's a big leap to go from that and ask for a big budget. So I can understand whoever saw that was like, no. But I think that's where its problems are. But just go back to the beginning here. 
I think it's dangerous when these films come out and people don't know the house that built it because it's the same issue now. It's, I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm going to fucking open the war chest here, but I am. It's the same issue I have with Christopher Nolan where someone sees his work now and sees that as the be-all, end-all of genre when in actual fact, if you look at what Christopher Nolan does with his cinema, it's not so different what what De Palma does with with Mission to Mars of in, of, in, of excuse me of his influences beforehand. Now I'm not I'm not going to shit on Nolan, but if you watch The Dark Knight, yeah, it's a fucking amazing film. But it's heat with Batman in Interstellar is Hitchcock with the fucking addition of his little fetish of time, like like sorry Kubrick of time, like it's it's so 2001. And then you know you get to like Dunkirk, and it's like well. That's quite clearly just like, again, very Kubrickian. And then you, you, you go so on and so forth and Nolan then becomes ultimately uh, trapped in a prism of influence. And I think De Palma is eerily similar, but I think what this film is different of, it's that it doesn't showcase the homage of like Hitchcock but on a consistent rate. It's very much in the reign of someone made this, someone wrote this quite clearly wanting to be a 2001 ripoff. And I can, I can stay with that because once you make the pinnacle of cinema, you can't really you can't really evolve past that, and it's an issue that has plagued like the seventies and the sixties for so long. It's because why did why did Sergio Leone like take what fourteen years to make a ga- gangster film? Because The Godfather had already been done. Like, there's just no reason to go back there and do it. Why make a shark movie when Spielberg made a masterpiece in the fir- in, in the first place? So I can understand why people like I do will shit on this, and that's perfectly fine. But I do appreciate like having to come on board. And when you see a De Palma film, it's so effortless to De Palma. Yes, it homages Hitchcock, but it's effortless to De Palma. You can tell like, with the phallic imagery, the music, the slow-mo, the split diopter, the constant medium shots, zooms, like it's so De Palma. This, at least, takes him out of its comfort zone and him wanting to homage a different filmmaker. And, and I agree, like, I think that this is far more hit than miss. But on principle... That's something I genuinely am quite happy with seeing about De Palma, just outstretching his comfort zone. Because I think before this, he'd made Snake Eyes, which is what he's talking about in its own right, but it's that's so Hitchcocky and it's unbelievable. And then when he moves on from Mission to Mars, which by all means is a massive box office flop, I don't think it did anything for anyone. He was offered Mission Impossible. Or did he do Mission Impossible before he did Mission this? Impossible in the 90s. So that was so, a follow-up. Oh, wow. So, uh, so Mission Impossible is 96. Yes. Snake Eyes uh, is 99. Funny you should say that. Uh, it, oh, it killed his Hollywood career. As in, uh, I think he was done. Like He was like, fuck that. I'm not doing a film in Hollywood anymore. He moved to France. And so like... And then he made, made Femme Fatale, didn't he, with... Uh, Femme, Femme Fatale. Uh, what, what else did he do? Like Passion, Redacted, this is, these are all made in Europe. Right? Yeah, with French... French backers, yeah. Yeah, so he was like, no, I'm not doing this because, I mean, he like if you look in the history of how he's been doing films, like it's it's amazing that he's been able to actually make movies in the first place because he was always kind of on the, he basically just on the fringes of the new Hollywood movement because like all the big guys like Scorsese and like he's all, they're all friends, yeah? But you know, like they're all the, all these guys are like Spielberg, Scorsese, Coppola. They were basically just growing in prominence. He and he was just always in this sort of little sandpit of like Hitchcock, Hitchcock, fucking Hitchcock <laughs> ripoffs. I mean ripoffs, <laughs> homages, right? But yeah. Um, and then he was kind of always kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, Brian's Brian's doing his shit again, right? Like no one cared. 
because like like you, Carson, you you can yourself tell like 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 have, like have you heard of like the body double or like blowout? Like no no one kind of like they're always kind of just. I think the the untouchables would be probably the first time when uh, after carry I think where people kind of noticed him. A bit more. Well, I mean, bl- blow mm-hmm. blowout was like nobody gave a shit about blowout until what the early two thousands when Tarantino raised his head and said, "Oh, it's one of my favorite films." And then everyone was like, "Wow, let's go watch it again." It was a new newfound appreciation. But even then, that that's so clearly blow up by Michelangelo, like it, oh Antonioni, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Antonioni. Oh, it's kind of like I, blow up means the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it is like it. it the thing about De Palma is that. The De Palma is, is, is the one in the background moving everything at a rate where it makes everyone else work. So basically, Taxi Driver is a thing, which is generally my favourite film of all time. I've seen that film like 257 times. I watch it every, every day on my birthday, and I watch it about four or five times a year. You're 257 years old? No, no, I'm not like that. Well, don't give up secrets. You don't look this good. Anyway, so like De Palma is the reason why De Niro met Scorsese. De Niro, like... Scorsese, sorry, you know, Scorsese gets immortalized with Taxi Driver. De Palma is the person who edited the opening scroll on Star Wars New Hope. Like, De Palma's always been there in the background. He's been incredibly influential. But De Palma's problem is that he's always wanted to sort of take from the grace and sort of maximize it with his own strength, which was, people would call it misogynistic, I suppose. I think it would be very difficult to argue against that. But he's a very sensual director who has this, weird fetish due to an issue in his childhood where he likes to see what happens when he watches women which is interesting what happened to him when he was a kid where his mom made him go out and record and capture his dad cheating on his mother which is in fact true so so it's an interesting parallel that he's had from his childhood which you talk about a man perhaps needing a a measurable amount of therapy there i I presume where it it evolves and evolves to where it takes over a cinematic um you know indulgent which is interesting because i read a quote yesterday about david lynch and in, after the after twin peaks failed and before mulhan drive was a thing he was told by family members you you need to go to therapy you need to work this through and he went to sit with a this is true by the way he went to go sit with a therapist and the therapist says look we're going to go through this david and the first thing he says is will this affect my creativity and the therapist says david i'm, I'm going to be i'm going to be incredibly honest with you it might do and david lynch stood up, shook, shook his hand and said, thank you very much, but this is not for me. And his reasoning is, is that if it's going to affect his creativity and he's going to understand why he does the things he does in his films, then the amb- ambiguity and the dream-like scenario, it, it just fades. And I think, I'm not trying to compare Lynch to the Palmer because I think there's a fucking massive ocean between them. But I think that level is very similar where perhaps this is not only an indulgement of, of the Palmer, but perhaps it's his therapy in his own right which then makes this film even more so interesting because if all the other films before it are about him coping or trying to reason or socially analyze his, his own being, what does this film then represent in his career? Because well, is this him just literally, well, yeah, because is this, is this him getting existential, not only in his own career thinking, look, I've done everything now. I mean, this man had made an impossible, had issues with, 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 um, Wagner, the writer, had issues. Sorry, Deborah w- Wagner, the uh, the producer, had issues with Tom Cruise. The film's a box office success. They invite him back to do what was the ill-fitted Mission Impossible 2, which was then directed by John, which is 
I presume is going to be another episode on this fucking podcast because that's what nobody's analysed. But he turned that down. And then this is the last major film to have made in Hollywood as a, let's just say it's a blockbuster because it is. This is like an existential crisis. The film covers about understanding that we're not alone and we have to make those decisions in life where we have to separate ourselves from society in a way that to, to prosper, not only, not only mankind, but we, we have to make decisions about helping other people. And I think this comes at a time where he, he had a, he had a young, young kid, I think his, his daughter. And I think he had to make the decision whether to, to, to cause he, cause I think he, he dated Nancy Allen for a while. And then the, 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 I think they married and they broke up. Nancy Allen's like his, his on-screen muse, famously in Robocop and then like literally nothing else. And then he met another woman. He, he, he had a baby. Uh, and then he just relocated to France with, with another family. I think this film is, is on a deeper level, more personal to him than he probably realised. I don't know how, how you agree with that, both of you. But I think knowing the character, knowing the filmographer, I think if anyone wanted to find out who De Palma probably was at the time of his life of this of this era, this film probably encapsulates that more so than anyone's probably ever realised. Carson, what do you think about this? Because <laughs> like, you're just sitting here like... A, like <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have no idea who this fucking guy is. So quite frankly, I have no... Sh- wow. Like, sure. It's re- I mean, it's really interesting like to come from that like standpoint, not knowing like a lot about this director's personal life and hearing that. I mean, though also that's kind of... I mean, you can do that with almost every, any film, right? Like, you can write a thesis about like the director's life and find deeper meaning in every piece of his work and why does this mean this to this character? And like, I, I f- think it's a very dangerous slippery slope sometimes to go down with what this like film means to the director and in the thesis of his career and the actual quality of it. There's a couple of points I want to bring up from what we talked about before and I'll just go very quickly. Number one, speaking of birthdays, Jakob, just make you feel a little bit old. I was not alive when this movie came out in theaters, so oh, I'll throw that out there God. to you. Um, <laughs> and also, I, I, I think the interesting thing about De Palmer, even though I don't know a lot of his, I haven't seen a lot of his films, I consistently hear about the influences he draws from other directors. And I think it's really curious how like that is a notable point people bring up for like the pr- point of this podcast. Um, I, I know Jakob also did this. I did a little bit of a Mars binge and I watched Red Planet and The Martian. It's impossible oh, yeah. to watch The oh, Martian and yeah. not see influences <laughs> of Red Planet, but no one cares. Same with Parasite. You know, Paras- and this doesn't reduce The Martian or Parasite or you know any of these films, but you can't watch The Parasite and then not see influences of The Handmaiden when you've seen The Handmaiden, another South Korean film. Uh, I, God, I forget what year it's from, but back in the day, I'll say. Well, like, Handmaiden is like, what, 2017? 20, no, there's a... 2016? There's a different one that's older. Oh, okay. Not not, not Park Chan Wook's Handmaiden. Yeah, no, different film. Okay. Um, but so, like, I think it's really curious. I don't actually know. Like, I really don't know the answer of why for some filmmakers like him. I maybe it's just because it's so noticeable and more people have seen the works and the directors he's taking from. Why that's become a part of the narrative around this director when it hasn't for Bong Joon Ho or when it hasn't for Ridley Scott with The Martian and where it hasn't for those other films where clearly that is also like in play. But people, whether to praise um, De Palma or, you know, reduce his work, I continually hear this brought about him. And it's just something I've been thinking about a lot in film recently is it's like when we choose to say, oh, you're drawing from influences. And when we choose to say, we don't really care and we're not going to bring that up. And maybe that's the quality of the final work. I'm not really sure. But that's just something I find very intriguing. I mean, for that in a weird way. And again, this is feeling like my own therapy session. 
But I feel like that's the issue that I have with Tarantino. I'm going to shit on so many directors here. Whereas, like, intertextuality is, is a prime thing in cinema now. Um, it has to be. It has to be something. Once you see a great and you want to sort of eclipse it or even mirror it, you, you have to sort of use intertextuality. Inter- um, Tarantino uses it in a way that's like an ego trip where he uses it because he can do it. It has nothing to do with the plot, but it's him exercising his right to put it in. So, you know, be square. And, and then he, he even does that with his own films. I mean, if he wants to have an ego trip, there, whatever. I mean, I think to, to argue, well, just if I just finish, because sure. I don't want to just shit on Tarantino and then not make it like relevant. But I think that the reason why I think De Palma gets in that same bracket and shouldn't is because De, ba- De Palma takes these techniques and he involves them, evolves them with his strength, with his eyes, with his direction. And he makes them sort of key to a scene where a, a split diopter might look too fancy, but it adds a certain momentum. It adds a certain edge. And that's a difference that, that I think Tarantino should get shit on for. And De Palma shouldn't. Because I can understand, like, there's this homage's influence. And yes, I've heard it beyond a doubt that, uh, that De Palma's a Hitchcock rip. Yeah, I, I can see that. But De Palma works with it in a, in a really sort of seedy and... and um, R-rated manner where it becomes effective to use those tools in a way that Hitchcock wouldn't have done. Like Psycho is him pushing the boundaries of 1960, whereas <laughs> Dress to Kill is is pushing the the boundaries of you know like you know 1981, which I believe it's released or 1979. I can't really remember. No, 1980. Yeah, I think it's 1980. Yeah. I'll get it. I'll get it on my third go, but. I, I just think De Palma gets shit on for the, the real wrong reasons. And I think that's people not being able to read his filmography as is and not see. I, he can take accountability of those those homages, but to read it in the context it's delivered in is a thing that a generation gets lost in if they don't grow up in it. And I think none of us grew up in that generation. So we're seeing it from a, an evolution of cinema, I mean, which is tough, I suppose. But it's interesting to see nonetheless. To to your point, I mean, I mean, I will say something. To okay, the Palmer, throughout his life cycle as a filmmaker, I think he's he's been I think consistently trying to do what Hitchcock wouldn't be able wouldn't have been able to do in the fifties and sixties because the censorship wouldn't have allowed them to. Like studios would say, no, you can't show tits on screen. No, you can't sh- you can't show a violent assault you can't show this you can't show that because the the culture wasn't there now hitchcock had a a champion francois truffaut right he was because in the 50s and 60s he was kind of like like de palma throughout the 80s he was kind of like oh yeah he's just doing these things and some of them are more successful than others and then truffaut came along and he said like we've got our thing and and they said look at this guy he's a genius yeah he's he's amazing now, De Palma is put is is doing what Hitchcock wouldn't have been able to do, yeah, and then he's been also basically being treated like a hack throughout whole, all all of his life, and he has Tarantino doing the Truffaut for him, like he like because Tarantino is like his biggest champion. He's be like, yeah, Blowout's the best film ever, and people watch Blowout. Like people like he he uses split screens and split diopters and big roaming shots. And then people kind of immediately just connect to the Palmer through him. So he's doing him a service. You know, it's a separate question of who's going to be the truth. Who's going to be the tar- Okay, well, if 
Truffaut was to okay, what Truffaut was to Hitchcock and Tarantino is to the Palma. Who's going? Who's going to be the tr- Tarantino's Truffaut, if if you know what I mean? Because like he's now all getting the backlash of okay, well, he has a bit of an ego, and but he's still he's doing these things that like, he, the Palma wouldn't have been able to to get away with because people would be absolutely dismissing him and saying you're just pulling from left, right, and center. You can't do this, even though he probably wanted to. So. So he's basically just pushing the envelope a little bit further. So like 10 years from now, someone else is going to, I bet you money, this is going to be like Drogodard or someone like this. <laughs> like he's gonna, someone's going to come come along and then people will discover Tarantino as like a genius, which is fine by me because I really like his, his well, well, But you know, well. but that's just to, to that point. <laughs> but to the, uh, coming back to the original conversation, the Mission to Mars wasn't De Palma's film. Like it wasn't the script, her script he had any... I don't think he had any an, anything to do with, because normally he kind of either writes or ghostwrites some of his stuff and his storyboards and everything. But and he invents his set pieces for him. So I think the uh, set pieces he has invented for this, but it was almost taken away from him because it, all of a sudden, like mo- majority of the uh, final act is in CGI and he has no control over this. But the models, he probably had some he had something to say about because they kind of clearly homage the. Uh, 2001 and then they have they kind of look star warsy as well at the same time the rotating deck is clearly kubrickian so it's all to me at least it's interesting to see where the filmmaker's style actually is where where he has to he or she has to come to a project that's no that's not theirs and make it theirs so you can have these like there's a there's the weirdest split diopter shot in this where I think Tim Robbins in the, is in the background and Gary Sinise is looking in, in, into a, I think at a screen of like his, his, they're like an old party with, I think they're, they, they go engage with his, with his dead wife or whatever. And you can see like, I don't understand why they split diopters here. I think it's just for me to recognize that there is a split diopter shot in here. So that, so that this is the Palmer saying I'm here, but I don't, uh, unless you guys have an explanation why the split diopter shots in there, but yeah, I don't have one. Just talking about this film and just like they had a contest we're talking about. I think if if I, I just that just that makes me question why he would take this job again. I'm I'm just I find it so difficult to sort of assess the reason why he would take this on board and be like, this is what I want to do. Like, don't get me wrong, with the content of his filmography, I don't think if today if we were in sort of what 1980, well, let's say we're in 1980, this man had just made a blowout. And then the tabloids or Variety said, or the Hollywood Report for that matter, would said, Brian De Palma is going to make Scarface. I'd be like, what? Like a man who's made a, a, a blow-up rip-off is now making a gangster film that was Howard Hawks in the a 30s. Remake, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you get you go back to the you know 1980s again. This and man's then And he does what? The, uh, the body double after that, right? Which is, again, uh, you know, uh, re-window, right? Yeah, that will definitely. I mean, I mean, he, before the Untouchables, he made a fucking Danny DeVito a comedy wise guys. I have not seen <laughs> I, it. I mean, yeah, maybe, I mean, well, I, I don't think many people have. No, um, this may be one of those when I was a kid and I was renting stuff just indiscriminately. This may have found my found its way to my house. I just found it so strange how like that that comes in a filmographer in a in a burrow of noir crime thrillers like Passion, Black Dahlia, Femme Fatale, Snake Eyes, Mission I mean, Impossible. If, that that's just so out, out of the way. If you if, if you, you if you're gonna 
if you step on a sinking ship and it's filling with water, then you know you're going to go, you're going to go fucking down with the ship. I just find like there must there must be an evidence surrounding it. Maybe promises were made that were not kept that he could then have his final direction of it, and perhaps that is a one reason of of, of Mene why that split diopter in that shot is there because it's a it's probably a reaffirmation of himself going like yeah this is my ship. If you're going to go down with it, you might as well be on it when it goes down. I just think this is a, just a, such a strange film to gravitate towards. Not if he, if he, if he pushes the boundaries, yeah. But I think the message that this shows is not not a De Palma message. This this is not a film that's bitter. It doesn't have a bitter taste at all. There's there's certain scenes in here which I'm just like, what the actual fuck of this is happening here? The Tim well, Robbins one, spacewalk. I mean, oh, like wow. that, whole, that whole scenario, and I'm getting so angry. No, but this, scen- this is Hitchcock in space. Like, this oh, is, no. Yeah, yeah no, that's, it's that's not. It's, like just, that, yeah. it's just added pessimism for the sake of it. The, the man is told in context. Oh, you know, that, the that, pessimism, like, like they're taking the helmet off, and then this, like, this sort of, <laughs> when, the, when, when she doesn't have enough cable to reach him, that's, that's the Palmer going like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's like, it's just, he's told multiple times the consequences of it. If he doesn't out, if he doesn't outstretch that, that, that whole commitment he does in that certain scene, that point of the film never occurs. And I'm just thinking that that's a writer who was quite clearly hit a brick wall and in, instead of fucking going through it, they've just decided to, well, what we'll do is we'll just create a ladder and we'll just climb over it. We'll keep the wall and then we'll move on in a different direction. I'm just, I'm just thought to myself, like, it's so clear that this is a screenplay issue and they had no other way. And probably it was an idea of, to power, like if we get rid of one character, then we can at least then go a different direction. Maybe that's what it is, but it's a film that's made of so many decisions like that. Let's hit, let's get to A, right? What do we do next? Well, we need to get to B, so we'll zigzag. And it's like you, you, you either have a straight line of a narrative, or if you go to every single beat possible, it just becomes a film that feels like it's got nine writers on board. And then you get to the, this fucking ending. I'm like, what? Oh, come on. You didn't like the ending. No, because I'm just... Like, help I'm, me I'm, out in here. I'm just oh sat there. I'm just thinking, like, <laughs> what, what is this film, film, Jack? Come actually? on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, what is this film actually about? What is it reaffirming to its audience? This is what is Terrence Malick watched and said, I want to make a whole film out of this. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll probably best not bring you up with what Carson with, with his review of A Hidden Life. is very interesting. But I think I just... I, I'm, sort of, I'm sat there and I'm in the peak of De Palma and in every other film, I have this tongue-in-cheek manner of, I know what he's trying to say. Yes, it's overindulged. Yes, it's slightly problematic. But here, I'm thinking, is it? Are we talking about we need to we need to mourn the ones that are not here? Is that one thing? Then are we talking about that life is what throws at you? Is that another thing? And then I'm left thinking, well, at the end of the day, even in the midst of the absolute disaster, everything will be saved by a fucking MacGuffin or a or a, a, a Dusek Mackin, I'm just sat there like, this is not what De Palma is built of. And I, I, I have to separate the film as what it is and a film as De Palma's. And it fails me on both because it's not a De Palma film in my eyes. And it's I'm like, and that's what I'm fucking here for. So God forbid Tim Robbins and Don Chiara and, 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 and Gary Sinessa have, have got something. And I'm like, none of them have. I'm just thinking, what, what's here for me then? Because I think it's 20 years old at this point. These type of films don't make any money. It's like the Western. I mean, look at Danny Boyle's Sunshine. I mean, they, they planned that release for, what, a year ahead, and it came out on the actual hottest day of the year. And no one went to go see it. And actually, the film's uh, actually really good. There's, a, there's an irony there. But yeah, here... But I really love Sunshine. 
Guys, oh, I have also seen Sons of Sunshine. I have not. Oh it's my terrific. god! Okay, but the, episode so but, guys. But, I'll add it to the list. I'm, 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 the reason why I, the reason why I bring that up is that's a fucking De Palma film in space. That's a noir murder mystery. It's fucking evil. It's gritty. It's got a massive pessimistic tale to it. But at the end of the day, it has a positive note, and that's all I'll say on that because you need to watch that film, Carson. This feels like what Danny Boyle would have made. Well, not no, actually, I'm not going to say that because Danny Boyle's slightly pessimistic. But this is something that is so fucking like Spielberg it actually makes me feel sick like I, I'm sorry I watched War of the Worlds of the day I'm thinking this is gritter this is grim this is fucking yes Spielberg like get into that minority report spirit and at the end I've got that fucking kid out of Dragon Ball Z or whatever it is at the end in Boston that fucker died literally 16 minutes ago in, in on a field when aliens invaded and I'm sat there like that's such a Spielberg motif it actually makes me sick to my stomach like you can't have that have a bit of grit. And the Palmer here, it feels like he just lost his touch. Like, yes, he'd made a film, like Snake Eyes, in the context, is him literally admitting, like, at the Amer- America's fault for international war. Like, he's on record to saying that. I've, I've done, well, I've yeah, done but a, Snake Eyes is 100% his. Like, this is yeah. not. Yeah. So I kind of, I, I kind of feel enough. like this may be almost a mistake, kind of just to see it as a De Palma film. Like, I kind of see it as a, like a mess because it's, you know, like I have a whole list of references, like, Oh, you know, Event Horizon, two thousand and one. You know, there's a Hitchcock in space. Like there's like whole 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 host of this. Like Apollo thirteen in, in you know in <laughs> on Mars. There's you know close encounters. There's plenty of stuff in there, right? So yeah, but okay, well, yeah, so I can. Yeah. Jacob, this is this is someone who was revered for a sense of stylistic passion on screen, and the film's like a. I'm not going to say like such rude. But it's just empty. It's just empty. It's bland. It's opaque. I mean, Music don't you think that maybe like this on. isn't? I mean, this probably goes against film criticism. But like, I think you're trying to make like, I I think it's wrong to look at this. I agree with Jacob and try to see this as being like De Palmer, like substantially with thematic weight being one of his films. If you're someone who likes to pay tribute to like your like icons and people you love look up to you love 2001 and you get offered this job the script is written the film is casted you get the chance to make this space film like ultimately i think this is not saying that he has something he wants to necessarily say with this film but i think more from just a technical aspect like this is him getting to pay tribute to 2001 with his little you know little references and little you know bits and pieces here and there but this is him getting to do that with pretty much a little effort so like I don't know if this is something where you should be looking like thematically, how does this fit in? Like, what is he trying to say here? I think more important of what it's trying to say as far as like, how is he trying to say it? He's making his space film. He's paying tribute to 2001, something he clearly values because he does it throughout his entire career is, you know, pay tribute to all these other films and filmmakers. So I think that's probably how it's more beneficial to look at it, or I guess more satisfying. I don't know about more beneficial, but more satisfying at least. I can, I, can, I, I can take on board the fact that if you are a director who has made a film of Nicolas Cage a, a year before and you've made a big box office film for Paramount and someone comes to you and they say, look, we have this space film. Um, we've got, you know, it, it's Kubrickian. We've got, we've got loads of influences here. We've got this cast that's up and coming. You know, we've got the star of Shawshank Redemption. You know, we've got a few up and coming cast members as well. Um, we've had a director drop out. Can you come on board? It's very unlike De Palma to do that because it's, I think he's ultimately raising another person's child, which is... Uh, oh, I have a, I have a theory here. Because Snake Eyes bombed, right? 
I don't think most of films That's, do to it's made 103 million on 73 million dollar budget according to Wikipedia but uh, this may this may be wrong but and it's and it's also Touchstone Paramount Buena Vista right so I'm thinking here's my theory why De Palma ended up being being uh, hired to do Mission to Mars Gorvin Verbinski as you as you now pointed out because I couldn't find who who the director was who walked out the guy walks out and he leaves the production hanging and then he owes Uh, the studio because he probably convinced them to to make Snake Eyes and they and they spent seventy three million bucks on making Snake Eyes that didn't really bring much of a profit and they said worth every penny yeah. yeah but you know think about that you know they they say to him you owe us because you you just cost us seventy three million bucks we need you to take over this and make this work and he when he took over. He uh, didn't make it work <laughs> because people were kind of, I don't know, it didn't land with anyone at the time, as it clearly didn't land with you. <laughs> But, you know, uh, so I have a feeling that this is how De Palma ended up doing this. So I don't you see it as, as this authorial project. And by the way, like this, 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 this kind of criticism coming from the uh, biggest sort of adversary of the uh, auteur theory, this is also quite rich. But hey, I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> But, um, that's all I'll say. Um, yeah. But I, I, again, like I can, like I said to Stakarsen, I, I, I can understand if the opportunity arises. It's such a difficult thing to turn down. It must have been so difficult because it's well, I, I, it's an opportunity. It can make good money, you know. I think the probably the time to talk about the the, the Martian influence of the the early 2000s Cinema is like a, a mall with it all. Like it, it, it probably must have ticked every box, and he thought, well. This is it. This is my chance to get back into something, and then I'll, I'll make something small again a year later, and I'll, I'll, I'll revitalize my career. Unfortunately, it, it was a different story told, quite literally. Um, but I can understand that. But in, in the same breath, I think that this is for me where De Palma had lost integrity, not only for the system, but probably a little bit for himself. And I don't mean that in a really nasty way, but I think that this is a system that uses and abuses its creators and its creator, uh, creatives to a point of its, to justify its means to its own end. And I think ultimately this is him getting chewed up and this is him getting spit out and he's just thought, well, you know what? Fuck it. If I, ca if I can't have my cake and eat it and they don't, they don't appreciate me. And let's be honest, I think for the wider birth of his, of, his, of his life, his filmography hasn't been appreciated to a degree it should have. Yes, he's got Oscar nominations for his cast members, but not, not, not for his appreciation as a director in any way as a creative. And I think the only positive I actually get out of this film is him literally being like, fuck the system, I'll go move to France and I'll make smaller films. And yes, the returns on them have been slightly like ambiguous. <laughs> Let's say that, because some of them are very hit and miss. But I appreciate that this film had to happen for him to sort of reconnect with his sensibility. But I think the whole issue with 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 mars is another it's just a film that's it's it becomes ultimately saturated by its by its own market like red planet is a film i, I generally adore i watched well, that is, film when it a, first which came is a good out segue actually you know, yeah. when you think about this because that was year 2000 and then like mars is, has been a little bit more of a has been a thing yeah and then this oh. was released i think like weeks apart and then the consensus was for a very very long time i think that red planet was was just a shit genre film like was like no one no one even cared like Carrie Ann Moss was in it in her in the little three-year sort of time period where people cared about her when she started in Matrix and then Memento and this and 
something else and then she's just fallen off the radar again um but yeah <laughs> so it would be interesting to see your thoughts on because it's one of those like deep impact armageddon you know the prestige and illusionist and something else i guess these sort of little pairs of films uh where where does it stand because it kind of just looks like parts of it were kind of almost like copied over and then if you look at how the martian looks like now the ridley scott was basically just i mean drew goddard and and uh andy were clearly watched all the mars films that they could get their hands on when they were either reading or writing the book and the scripts uh yeah so what do you think about red planet the uh, sort of immediate competitor I'll just quickly jump in before Jack, because I know Jack has a lot to say about this. I will just say, I genuinely, like, I, 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 it's not even like I think Red Planet is so bad, it's fun. I genuinely think Red Planet is a good film. There's, like, genuine human emotion throughout. Like, there's some really clever ideas with how, like, Mars works and just, like, interesting ideas that I thought was actually creative. Like, it's not just a shit genre film going through the motions. Like, so many of this genre seems like it's go, like it is. Um, I, I genuinely like think Red Planet is a good film. Maybe not like a great, let's not, you know, go crazy and say it's a masterpiece. But I think it's like, I don't like ironically like this film. I genuinely liked Red Planet, but I'll let Jack go because I know he has a lot yeah. to say. The reason why I wanted to go first because I'm, I'm going to fucking contradict everything I've just said about Mission to Mars. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I, I actually really fucking love this film. And I love it because it, it, wears, its, it wears its pride on its fucking shirt sleeve. It knows exactly how stupid it is and how dumb it is. But it comes at a time for me where, like, it's literally, yes, it's a film set on Mars, but it's not really about that. It's, it's, a, it's a, an action thriller that just happens to be set on Mars. And it, having to watch this again after a, a massive delay of not watching it, and as you get older, it becomes so fucking silly when, you know, it, it's, it's terraforming and, you know, the, the CGI is genuinely horrific at times. And if you think of how like ridiculous certain plot points are. Well, but the, the, CGI in Mission to Mars is better than in Red Planet. Oh, yes. Miles, miles better. I prefer not to speak on that matter. When, when Carrie Moss straps herself and then just burns whatever she needs to burn, I was like, this is why CGI things also, don't date that, that well. Also, Carrie Moss had about five good years, not, not your, your little two or three that you just proclaimed. Okay, she, was just... she was excellent, phenomenal in the Matrix. She's very good in Memento. She's equally as good here, and then she was excellent, phenomenal in two of the Matrix sequels. Yeah, and then and she was. In, then she took a massive gap, and then she was good in. Don't start on that. Don't even go there. And then she she was in Disturbia, and then she just went quiet. And then she she was in like those MCU shitty TV shows. She's had a ride, okay. She's, I, I, I get it, yeah, but it's just she she's had a bizarre career. That's that's pretty much all I want to say, but. In, in she's going to bring in, it back with Matrix 4. That's going to oh yeah. be... Well, that's, I mean, that's, we don't even need to say that, Cassie, because we all know that's true. But very what, I want, what I want to draw Mars. your attention to, and I, and I, and I wrote this down when I, when I was watching Red Planet, because I thought I would forget it. The character names. Ridiculous. Gallagher, yeah. fine. Santon. Pettengill. And Chantillus. Ter- played, played by Terence Stamp, who just like everything he says makes no sense. Like, oh, I just, I'm a scientist, but I'm uh, based philosophy. I'm looking for uh, God under the rock. <laughs> okay, let's be clear, though. Like, you, uh, yes, it's a silly film. Yes, it's kind of dumb. You can't yeah. tell me this 
scene where they have to listen to their friends suffocating to death isn't like genuinely powerful and like oh, no, genuinely no, that, that scene that, yeah that it's scene good yeah, there it's are good. great yeah. moments throughout like it's not just shit it's not just silly bad like there's legitimate good stuff here but can you please t- can you please tell me in red planet that the whole sort of Okay, well, for those of you who don't know, if you haven't seen Red Planet, just go and rent it on Apple or wherever or Amazon for like three there's, three dollars. There's actually like there's no way you can really watch it in the prime of where it needs to be seen. Because what Red Planet? I rented I, it in HD you can watch, from yeah, Apple. But you could, yeah, but I mean that, that streaming is never sort of like a hundred percent. Oh no, no, yeah, totally. It's upscaled, isn't it? Like, it doesn't have a Blu-ray, I don't think. Which for me is, I think that's definitely a rights issue. But it's a film that I think on on. God, dare I say it? I have this theory where I, I I saw Minority Report on VHS when it first came out, and I I have seen that film on different formats of every evolution. I've seen it in 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 uh, Ultra HD. I've seen it in HD. I've seen it on DVD. I have never seen that film the first time I ever saw it again. I've never ever seen it like I first saw it on VHS. It it came out in an era where it was perfectly aligned to match the aesthetic, and well, I think Red the Planet. Matrix. No, no, no. Yeah. This, this oh. is um. Oh, my uh, report. Yeah, and I think the Matrix is very similar. This also, for me, wouldn't perhaps work on 4K for multiple reasons of CGI. And, and yes, we'd probably see Tom sees a little bit of white substance around his nose. We'd see loads of stuff like that. That's alleged, of course. <laughs> um, but but I think there would be an issue of, of upscaling it to a point of oblivion where it came out in an era where to see this on VHS for me literally adds so much more creativity towards it but um, correct me if i'm wrong was this shot on film it was too early to be digital isn't it because i'm it's yeah, about not... four, four years too early for digital because well, yeah the first sort of digital films would be like the attack of the clones or something like this right Which I think it is, yeah yeah so um, I mean, it's, it's shot 235.1 as well like this is such a cinematic ratio See, this is why the world needs shows like this one, because if we keep banging on about films like Red Planet and whatever, or and Mission to Mars, I think, in the UK also doesn't have a Blu-ray release. Maybe some, someone in, like, Powerhouse Indicator and Arrow Films will remaster these and then, you know, release I'm them. I will. haven't done either. That, that, that's such a fucking good show. I might e- email a connect I've got. I might just bang that one in. Yeah, see? Like, like, this can, is... you, can you fuck off? <laughs> we don't know who you are. Ah, come on. Come on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, but... Glasgow? no, they won't know. It is, it's there, a film. Is, there like... is a release, let's be clear. You can thank the Uncut Gems podcast. Yeah, um, well, obviously. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we, be getting getting roy- we should be getting royalties from this, yeah. right? It is, yeah. but on Half that, of no, them it, will go it, to it the Southeast. It is like, it is such a classic film to be shown, and like, it, it's it's a cult film in its, in its own right because of its, its connective tissue to its plot. It, 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 like, it, that's very difficult to argue against. But it does come out in an era where it's it's so heavily '90s inspired because of its cast. I mean, Val Kilmer is coming off Heat, coming off Batman, coming off Tombstone, like the height divorce? of his career. Has had had, had had a horrific divorce before this. He was in the Island of Doctor. Is a Doctor Moreau, something like with Marlon Brando. Please, please go read about what happened on that film. That's an extraordinary tale. But I watched That's- it. I watched it when I was a kid, and I really liked it. By the way, when I was a, when oh. I was young, like twelve. <laughs> That might be another episode because that, that oh, yeah. film was not done very well. I mean, no, no, that, but that, n- the director of that has only just come back and made a film with Nicolas Cage. Which one? Because which the, <laughs> uh, they had the, many. The, the one after Manda. Because uh, no, space, no, no, no. Is it space something. Color. Oh, something. color out of color space. Color of space. No, no, but then, yeah. 
Ah, uh, what's his face? Uh, John Frankenheimer had a, had a go at this as well, right? At the uh, island of Dr. Moreau. Well, Frankenheimer did the reshoots of it. The guy, who, Richard, whatever his name was, was fired off it. Who we? Because the, the the guy who originally directed it, Richard, I can't remember his last name. Stay he away. actually went to the. Uh, he he stayed on the island, dressed up as an extra, and and unveiled himself at the after party. <laughs> it's just such an interesting story. But anyway, it, just get back to the point. You've got, like you say, Carrie Ann Moss. You've got quite a few up-and-coming stars as well. Like you've got, I'm going to say this, like this is in hindsight, Simon Baker, Benjamin Bratt. Like there's a, quite a few 90s like demolition. Richard Atlantic, Stanley. That's what he is. Yeah. Richard Stanley, yeah. Just had to say, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Like, I think he, he deserves credit for going through uh, trauma on that film, nevertheless. But it becomes, it's like a 90s film entrapped with the uh, the issue of, the millennium, which demanded new things. There was an idea of technology. It came out in that time where it was it was probably a year too late about technology, you know, trying to, is it, is it going to sort of blow up the world? I think it came out probably a year too late and didn't probably get the 90s appreciation it deserved. But, but also, like, it's just, it's just a film that doesn't really add anything to the sort of zeitgeist. It's just a, a, a thriller it's almost like a farcical thriller. Like it's 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 very much like the Palmer in that way, which is which is weird to say. Um, just interesting that this director has never worked again after this film. It was so oh, traumatic. Like what was his name? Val, Kil- oh, Val Kilmer okay. and and, and uh, Tom Sizemore, like after working on Heat, weirdly enough, hate each other. Like hate each other, um, which is somewhat of a shame because I quite like Val Kilmer. The other one, I well, just Google it. But Tom, uh, Tom Sizemore is in like this this slightly overweight De Niro. Well, I mean, I think if just a Google search on Tom, Tom Sizemore might do, do a little bit of a disservice no, to anything he's ever worked No, on. but like Red Planet in its own right, at least to me, this deserves a little bit of a tip of the hat, especially at Carson. You, 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 you'll t- totally back me up on this. You've watched The Martian, and The yes. Martian's basically just ripped left, right, and center from this. Not even Absolutely. from like, anything else. You could see like someone watched Red Planet and took the good bits out of this uh, yeah, and, and, wrote, and wrote a book about this. Doesn't devalue that. the Martian to be very clear to everyone. Like oh, it's no, still a great no, film, but, but yes. But it kind of tells you that this is an inspirational piece of cinema for all of a sudden. Like <laughs> the this Martian, is some, something though. that was like a bottom rung in a in a video rental store in like the early two thousands. Now it's kind of like being but taken back on board. Like, the Martian is something like defies itself on like science. Like it's so science backed. Like I think it, that'd be difficult to. We can all agree, like it's very science-backed, even though it's dense. Can we all agree on that? Well, yeah, but that's yeah. It, that's its entire point. Like the guy who exactly, wrote the book, exactly, was, right? this was his, this was his idea to kind of make no, a that, scientifically that, that, that accurate is... stuff that's kind of fun as well. No, it's Christopher exactly... Nolan's wet dream, absolutely. Yeah, well, let's, let's not bring that name up again. But yeah, <laughs> I don't that's even want to know what he dreams about when he wanks. I'm sorry. Jesus, <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah, you're probably needing more. Of it. Um, oh my god, <laughs> like. If that, that, but that he film, does it backwards. That, that film wears its like science on its sleeves, right? This film synopsis. I'm going to read this off IMDb because I think I find it fucking hilarious. Astronauts and their robotic dog, Amy, in brackets, automa- autonomous mapping, evaluation, invasion. <laughs> why would anybody give a shit about <laughs> what the acronym is for that? First of all, second of all, why have they got a robotic dog? Search for solutions to save a dying Earth by searching on Mars, only to have the mission go terribly wrong. But you know, you know why Let's they just have break a dog that in there. Down a second. But, 
But you know why they have a dog, right? Because yeah, otherwise, without the dog, dog, there wouldn't be a story in there because there's yeah. no there's no oh, stakes oh, otherwise. Oh. I mean, the that, dog's that fine. That could be a fucking robot with wheels. It doesn't need to be a fucking dog. No, it had to oh, be a so dog. It's so good as a dog though because it's hunting them. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, for that lip, for that single shot where Val Kilmer sits there and he goes like, "Oh, I lost contact," because he has this little screen on his on 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 his forearm and he goes like, "Oh, I can't see it," and he just sits there and you just think it's gonna come from behind and just like looks down onto him the dog scared the living shit out of me like when i watched it like was it two days ago you know, I, I never realized when they actually get to like the yeah uh, do you know where they're meant to go to the little settlement and it's all being like burned down and it's all being like destroyed i always thought it was a fucking dog but it's not it's a little <laughs> little it's a little bug. i never realized that for 22 did you did you, did you ever just... notice them in, like in the background when they keep walking and they are, they're always kind of in the no. background sometimes they pay attention to them but sometimes you can you can see like you know you know like the dirt is walking everything like five million dollars in special effects when when went onto the, these bugs it's a multi-grade fucking robotic invention that gets damaged on 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 route and somehow becomes evil i'm sorry but what are the U.S. fucking? What's the U.S. government making to get destroyed like that? These are the same people in in the same time. We put man on the fucking moon. We put man on Mars, and they couldn't get a. Working you don't think they did it by putting like work? them in a big balloon and just like throwing them at Mars? I mean, that, that was that, that was honestly a great piece of direction because I have a feeling that this was not in the script. This was someone who someone came up with this. How about we make the make make this uh, make them into a ball? And all I wanted to see was like, you, you see this ball rolling down hills. All I want to see is the inside of the cockpit and everything's covered in vomit. <laughs> just all I, this is all I wanted. But no. Just, for, just aesthetic wise, like, I fucking love the poster. I so I love that poster. I, lo- I love the one that's on IMDb and I love the one that's on uh, Letterboxd as well. I saw, I, that, that just screams 90s to me, like, that just like the, the when he's like on on what beached on the actual planet itself, you got Carrie Moss, Tom, Tom Sizemore next to him. Val Kilmer dyed hair blonde. You That's don't get more nineties than that. You don't not, get more nineties. Not that. the one with. And the ironic hands. thing is, it's not in the nineties. It came out in two thousand. Well, it was made in the nineties, right? Oh, it's like a throwback in the wrong era. I'd have that on my fucking wall. That that and that's and that's me. So I've got like a midway poster on my wall because of, you know. Someone gave it me. Let's just. Oh, say yeah. it. you leave me midway alone. <laughs> it's solid three stars. Midway. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair enough. Yeah, but red, red. I mean, to be honest, I'm surprised it bombed with who it has on, who it has involved, and then it has like a, it's only rated twelve. So like it, 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 it beat against the uh, what rules and regulations of the MPAA. Um, it has relatively big cast members. I just it came out the first December. What what else came out of that year, that time of the the year? I'd love to do some research on that. But it's a film that shouldn't really have bombed. It should no. have at least made some money. I'm sure it must have made some money. I don't get how it has a 14 on Rotten Tomatoes. That it's like incredibly low. Well, yeah, yeah it's, that, well, it's one of, it's ridiculous. one of those. It's not, it's nice to shit on. Because it's it's like if you really want to, it's you can take this apart. Like no questions asked. Like if if you didn't, absolutely, yeah. Like okay, well when I I rewatched it like a few years ago, and I think I gave it like two and a half on on Letterboxd. Now now this is gonna be like a solid three and a half. But 
but you know when i'm when i'm thinking about this if if you're in the right sort of frame frame of mind you can totally take this apart just the way jack dismantled mission to mars by the way like you can just take all, all of this that someone could appreciate and say this is shit i'm not taking this anymore <laughs> so you know it's, it's, it's yeah it's one of those you, know, you kind of have to you have to kind of just take or leave but at least at least red planet is exactly what it says it's going to be it's going to be a, a b movie with which should have been set well it should have been made 10 years before it was but i mean it, a budget of 18 million dollars and it grossed 17 million dollars in the us um for that quiz, is guys, what do you think was domestic box office number one in two in the year 2000 in america here we go no no because 2000 I'm just, I'm, Yes, because I'm j- I've just opened the uh, box office motor just to double check why this didn't make money, right? Let's right. well, be clear, I wasn't so. alive during this time, so I don't really know how many of these things went. Did Memento do good? That's, 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 I, no, I don't, I don't think no. Memento. I, one of them is Gladiator. Gladiator is number three. Oh, fuck off. Um, oh, can you give me a clue? Number one is a Christmas film. It's how the Grinch stole Christmas. Uh, <laughs> Number two is Mission one. Impossible Two, by the way. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not gonna. That is gonna get me some trouble. I think the Grinch is incredibly like overhyped. The, the American tradition of it's decent. The the, the 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 actual animation, but the Jim Carrey thing is actually vile. Oh, that's me done on that. I can't and, give and, a solid opinion on it because it makes me literally motion sick. I literally can't watch that yeah, film. I will literally yeah. throw up. I also I'm, agree. It makes me physically repulsed in I've, different ways. I've, I've developed, we, no, I don't want to say appreciation, but when I heard Jim Carrey talk about this, when he was, he was being asked, oh, why did you take this? Because it's a piece, piece of shit. And he goes like, I'm doing this for the kids. And he, had, he was talking <laughs> about how he uh, had to uh, sit in full costume because it took them like six hours to put them in makeup. And then he had to have like all the hair sort of tucked away because he wanted to smoke a cigarette and he couldn't because he would just catch fire. So he had to have like um like in the nineteen twenties they had these little pipes that go that extend the cigarette. So he would have a, like a cigarette like like a foot away from his face, <laughs> smoking a cigarette like this on the set and and just thinking like only five hours more of this bullshit only just five that, more hours. That's <laughs> literally what the... Ben Affleck said about why he played Batman. He said I did it for the children. Yeah, I mean. Sure. Godspeed. <laughs> like all the power yeah. to you. Like I, I don't. Like I don't have to be a fan of the Grinch. Was another one, wasn't it, Carlson? <laughs> so I work with Joel Schumacher. I'll do. It. I'll do it for the kids. Yeah. Um, I'll just say this, right? That's the second best story I've heard about that film, and the first one is that the uh, Nutty Professor shot next door to it, and there's a really <laughs> fucking funny uh, Christmas party they had where both of them are in costume, Eddie Murphy, and him. That, that's that's the best thing that came out of that film. Like. I, but well, again, you, you'd have to specify which costume was Eddie Murphy in because he had like six roles in there. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, like it's, the, it's the, the, the little one. granny going, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> yeah, that is the best part of that game. Hercules, that I is the best part of that game. I, I, I would like to do that film. <laughs> I, oh, sure. By all means, like the list is growing. But, but you know, <laughs> this is one of those well. few films that I think when I was a teenager, I watched more, more than once in the cinema, The Nazi Professor, because it hilarious this was i've just just can you name the top five of those the box office of of 2000 Uh, okay number one is how the grinch stole christmas number two is mission impossible 2 then the gladiator then number four the perfect storm that's wolf and peterson right yeah Uh, and then five meet the parents 
Wow. Then X-Men scary movie What Lies Beneath. That's Zemeckis. Fucking hell. Wow. Dinosaur. Okay. Um, and number 10, Erin Brockovich. What a horrible year. What a horrible <laughs> I mean, year. You stay away from Erin Brockovich. It's a masterpiece, okay? Well, that, that aside, what a horrible fucking year to go watch a film. It's a gladiator <laughs> there. Like, seriously, what... Well, how can What Lies Beneath made all that? Like, who? Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford? Give me a fucking break. Seriously. That, that, that's, oh, that's right. fucking Spielberg's company, like, bullshit on tax results there. To be like, fair, that, I think that, you can look at any year at the top, like, 10 of the box office and be like, wow, what a shit year. Well, number 11 is Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, so where's is... Fred Planet? What, like, number 999? That's a disgrace. We should all be embarrassed. Anyone who lived that, that year, regardless if you were born a day before, that, everyone should be embarrassed about that result year. Like, if you think How about can... this, like, this is, the year, this, is, this is the year, and then this is, like, where Mission to Mars, uh, they're actually kind of, like, like, was there it was a De Palma film not even any anywhere close um and Red Planet is kind of like a weird sort of sci-fi that should have made enough money to actually make its way into I don't know into like a top 50 at least and doesn't even get there I mean there's yeah. a reason the genre isn't as big as it like it didn't continue with like multiple films each year like I don't think the hype you know was there for the genre at this point I think it was kind of on its di- dying days ah, found Mission to Mars number 35 <laughs> that's wow. pretty impressive just below the cell. That makes it even with worse. Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the cell? Holy shit, that, that's bizarre. It would have been fun for a performance of her. Red Planet was originally titled Alone. Then it was changed to Mars. Then to avoid confusion with the other film we've spoken about today, it was finally changed to Red Planet. If I'm going to say this as well, out of, out of um, titles, this, this runs away with the award. Ooh, Red Planet's planet. like, well, well, well Chris, Christopher, 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 um, we've got a film, right? And it's called Batman. What should we call it? The Dark Knight Rises. No, 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 Chris, 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 Chris. Chris. It's, it's about the Batman, though. We, we haven't had a film in the trilogy called The Batman. You know, we've had Batman Begins, we've had The Dark Knight. We, why don't we call him The Batman? No, 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 The Dark Knight Rises. Like Mission to Mars, like the Palmer going, let's go from A to B. What do we get? We get a mission to Mars. Fucking, I've got it. I've got it. At least they sat there and went, Let's call it like, you know, I don't know. Let's, maybe let's put it Mars. No, we can't do that. Let's call it Alone. Let's not do that. Uh, why don't we call it Red Planet? And someone went, wow. And I, honestly, that's genius. That's genius little thing. But can someone tell me why, why would this even be called Alone? There's fucking five of them. <laughs> and a dog. There's <laughs> five humans. And there's only one robotic dog. And maybe that's what it's actually all about. Is that in the face... Of, of, of being hit and damaged and in fear of, of these people who, who, who weirdly they call she throughout but if we're going to gender a machine and we're going to go there I suppose like this dog maybe that's the thing that's alone in, in its deepest darkest insecurities this machine becomes conscious Jesus. it's weird because I took the dog as a metaphor for humanity and then the five humans to be like you know, global warming and uh, like, uh, like consumerism. And, you know, we have to take a stand against it. We're alone here and we got to fight against it, you know? Oh, okay. I see. I see what you That's why I took it out. I am at this point actually now. Because <laughs> <No. laughs> no, I was being quite honest. So, okay. So would it, would the, yeah, because Mission to Mars also is kind of like a shitty title if you think about it. But oh, then, no, no, no. Uh, what I was thinking it is shit yeah no, let's let's define it as what it is I come, it's not no it's not it's not the greatest but you know we'll get to it in a minute wouldn't better but, if it was the number two 
Oh, it, no, I mean, it, hold on. Jack's going to say, uh, now, now there's going to be a joke about number two. <laughs> no, oh, no, no. Oh, this is shit. That's what the number two is. To Mars. <laughs> <laughs> but why did they just, why did they just fucking make a third film in like 2001 series? Like, why, why, if you're going to make 2010, which is like, ugh, ugh, why, why, why didn't they just make a third one? Especially, that, I um, think, um, Arthur C. Clarke wrote the third book. Didn't he? 2061 or, or 91 or something no, no, like this, right? 3000, 3001. 3001. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's more. <laughs> so, but, you know, I thought like, the better title for Mission to Mars would be Don Cheadle Cannot Grow a Beard. <laughs> Which is also similar no. to uh, what Matt Damon also should stay away from facial hair, by the way. Well, Matt, Matt Damon <laughs> should never have been involved in that film. Isn't, I mean, we need to stop talking about that for him and, <laughs> and, 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 and Nolan, because I want to. I'll say this. Oh, I don't have I'm going to say. It. I'm glad they're not on video. I actually detest Interstellar more than I detest Mission to Mars. Uh-oh. The one thing, the one thing I like about Interstellar is its soundtrack. I at least have two things I like about Mission to Mars, and that's De Palma. No, that's Brian De Palma. That's it. But seriously, I'm, I'm being genuinely honest there. Interstellar roused me up beyond belief. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like, oh my god, like it's amazing. I'm like, no, it's not. It's fucking shot on IMAX cameras. And it's someone who's got like this weird issue with time. Hold on, I like, know. Oh, now wow. we're talking interstellar now because I'm actually I'm losing the, I'm losing the plot now. Yeah. Well, let's just let's just say this. Right. If you said Jack, you can watch Interstellar on 4K IMAX. Dolby Atmos. Or you can go watch Mission to Mars on Apple TV. I'd pick that fucking Brian De Palma film as quick as you could get that sentence out. I'm telling you See, right now. It's a masterpiece. And I and I, I do the best. <laughs> Red Planet, um, on the other hand. Well, right? All you it's, need it's is film. context, and all of a sudden, this whole tirade about how Mission to Mars is full of shit goes out the window because Interstellar okay. just doesn't like it. wouldn't wouldn't even fit in your rankings anymore because we would have to go all, all the way through the floor to get it. <laughs> well, you know, we're going to go around all the all the all the houses. I might as well take you there. But I will just say, like, it's interesting. I think without Red Planet, I think you wouldn't have Pitch Black, and I, and I like Pitch Black for what it is as well. Like. It came out in probably just the wrong era where you had a subverted tale and you took sci-fi to a different level. And I think Mission to Mars is an in, in, in issue of wanting to reclaim the pla- the past, but also incorporate some futurism there. Red Planet is also in that mixture of, look, we've got this B-movie story. Let's put it in a 21st century tale. And I think that it just wasn't hit at the right time where if you look at, you know, Pitch Black and Vin Diesel, I think that's a that's a horror film set in space, very much like Alien. So I mean, it, 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 can, it, it can... is an introduced Alien Three script, is it not? Well, al- well, isn't it allegedly? Isn't, isn't it? Like David Tuhi because... wrote a treatment for Alien Three, and that was, I think, a few concepts kind of go into the original in the actual film. But I think his script was more more or less kind of just thrown out. I, so I, I think he took more, I... some of it. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that, honestly. I mean, D- David too is also, let's just add a little bit of context there. He has, like, the Riddick sequels, like, encased in safes for, for whenever Universal wants to open them back up. David, they're not going to do it, my friend. <laughs> they're not going to do it. Those oh. fucking things are going to rot and be found a thousand years in the future by some fucking primate that's gone, like, what? It, like, it's not going to happen, Okay. You made one, it were decent. You made a second one, it was... You made a third one that literally was a rip-off of the first film. Like, we just need to sort of move on, right? And it's the problem we've got here was like, 
you have it you have an excellent idea that's why that's why it makes me more infuriated that red planet wasn't a thing because the, no one would ever have made a red planet 2 like let's make the blue planet like it was it, you have one and done F. No. Yeah, <laughs> no, they made wait, they wait. made Blue Planet. It's a documentary series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Richard Attenborough taking a little bit from uh, Val Kilmer there. You have yeah, to work a little bit for the narrative between the two, but you can find yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm it's sure if, if they though. hired De Palma, he would have found a way. <laughs> but I just, I just find the fact that it just riles me up slightly more. Where maybe it's a good thing that Red Planet didn't make money because it's it's. Since own entity that in a few years' time, let's hope that it, if if it does get a, a you know an indicator arrow release, it will have a bit of prosperity in its bones. Whereas a thing like Pitch Black ultimately gets minimalized by the impact of what comes after it, and it's the same issue with the Star Wars things. Unfortunately, like franchise depletion and and saturation is a thing. You know when you look at Iron Man. You just don't see it in the same eyes that you watch Avengers Endgame. It changes the whole context of it. You can't live in that era when it came out in 2008. You can't realise that you had a fucking incredible Hulk film, what, two months later, and it was shockingly bad, because you have to see it in this whole idea of entity. And I think these two films are very interesting in the fact that it, it, they're, they're a dormant of not being able to sort of assess the past and the future, and they get muddled in what they want to be. I also think the cast listing of, on both is wildly inappropriate for what this i mean jerry o'connell but what the fuck is that all about seriously i mean he was he was big on uh on tv at the time wasn't he he was in stand by me and that's it and maybe but you know no one around him oh, stand no, by him in this film to what was he, in? Oh, he was he wasn't like shitty tv shows oh come on i is can't remember isn't in sphere as well which is oh my god like it's another one where it's just michael Fitchton novel it's like what the fuck is going on like you made jurassic park yeah, we don't need to sort of adapt everything you've been in, or everything you've written. And then we get to Congo, and we got talking about, oh, we're talking apes. Congo area. is going to be an episode, by the way, people. No, no, I will never do that. I cannot do that. <laughs> I can't do it. Give me, you seriously gives me palpitations. That's I remember, exactly remember why kid it's going to be an me, it's scary. It's got talking apes in it. Like, and like, he's like, at the end, like a helicopter. Language, come on. <laughs> no, one of them talks. Yeah, come on. One of them actually does talk. No, but she has right? like a Stephen Hawking sort of thing when she just uses sign language. Then it's like, Amy, sad. Amy wants banana. You know, that's... <laughs> no, not having it. Not having it. <laughs> and anyway, so before, before we actually lose the plot, I think it's probably a good idea because we were just circling around this anyway. So it's probably a good idea to bring this to a close. And um, so we ended up kind of just talking instead of just one film, we basically just gave a. A bit of an overview of two films that you know, Red Planet and Mission to Mars. So um, now, can we go around the table and do a verdict on whether this actually is a bit of a gem that's been, or like Mission to Mars and Red Planet, whether they are gems or whether they are, in fact, horse apples? Carson, Mission, what do you think? I mean, obviously, Red Planet, absolute um, gem. We like check it out. I think Mission to Mars is a little harder to judge because I think the ending, like I legitimately love the third act just because of how wild it gets. Like it truly is just bizarre. And like from that point on, fun, gem, great. The point to get there is so like painfully dull. I think it has to be a horse app. Like I wouldn't recommend the overall viewing experience, even if the ending is super fun. And I think there's better films that do this Martian thing. Like go watch Red Planet, just watch... Fuck Mission to Mars. Just watch Red Planet. Fair yeah. enough. Jack? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to echo the last sentence, but I'm 
fully supporting exactly what Kazi just said there. I'll say this. Mission to Mars, right? We have to be like uncut gems. Mission to Mars is that uh, is that you've got a pack of licorice all sorts, right? And you and you pick pick the licorice in and you put it in your mouth and it's a fucking leech. It's a slug. What it was. It's horrible. It could kill you. It's just it's, Oh my god, your sound quality improved so it just <laughs> No. What did you say, Sarah? Yeah, it, I don't know, something clicked and then your sound quality is just amazing now. All oh, right, I'll start again. I'm the start I, I, of the I, podcast. Or... Yeah, no, because yeah. it's been no, like just... that for like an hour. And I thought it was basically because you, were, you you said you had a cold or something like this. So and no, it's just your microphone was being a bit of a dick. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's about right. Isn't it? Exactly what Carson said. I'm not going to repeat it because that's exactly how I feel. Fuck Mission to Mars. I enjoy Brian De Palma, but everything in that film is horrific. It's just it's generally appalling at every step. It doesn't work at any effective note whatsoever, right? But Mission to Mars, which is about uncut gems, is that if you eat a pack of licorice all sorts, right, and you have a and you pick a bit a, a big black li- a, a licorice all sort and you put it in your mouth and you chew it and you think you're gonna have that like you know you you think you're knowing what you're gonna get and it turns out to be a fucking leech, a fucking slug, and it can almost kill you and paralyze you. It's a horrible thing to go through, and then you get Red Planet. Red Planet is exactly what it is. It's sweet. It's a bit bitter in the, the aftertaste. It's not good for you. It's cheap as shit, right? And, and the, more, the more you watch it, the more it becomes apparent that you know what's in it. You know the ingredients are, are fucking terrible for you. But you eat that shit up anyway. It's a Mackie D's. That's what, that's what Red Planet is. And there's nothing wrong with fast food when you need it or when you want it, right? It came out in the wrong time. It's not appreciated for what it is. And yet it gets silly. There's robotic dogs in it, but it's exactly what you need it to be on the day, right? And, it's, and, and, and that's the thing at the end of the day. Red Planet is exactly what it says on the tin. Mission to Mars is some euthoric... Ecos- this this sort of embodiment of like tormentation of 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 what you think, you know what? <laughs> I don't like Mission to Mars. We just end this, right? I, th- I think. Yeah, Planet. I think this is pretty I clear. <laughs> go watch it. Go buy it. Just go watch it. Like, let's get a good transfer of it if we have to. Let's get the four k Let's get that director involved. Let's get a director's cut. I know there's deleted scenes. Let's make a fucking two hour version of it. Let's beef it up. Because there's something here in a good edit where it could be so much more stronger. Okay. And let's get an audio commentary track of Alchem and Tom Sizemore in the same room. Let's get oh. Karen Moss involved. You know? right. Let's get Karen Stamp out of whatever he's doing now, which is, and Benjamin Boat, whatever he is, who's probably in Doctor Strange 4 or something, or some shit like that. Let's get them all back on board. The, uh, Red Planet is, could have been something. Mission to Mars was exactly what it was when it got off the, the, the firing range. It's just a target, that's all it is. Red Planet is seriously out of either one of them wears its stripes and its sleeves and knows exactly what it wants to be and in that way I think out of either one of them it's so difficult to even even think that Mission to Mars is going to be even respectively involved in this conversation which I feel like Jakub over to you because I can feel like this one's going to go because like you, you yeah you've been very passionately dismantling <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think we have a consensus here because I mean, I, I'm okay. I'm not in your camp in here with, when saying like that. I just passionately hate um, Mission to Mars or whatever. I'm kind of closer to Carson with this, even though I, I I have seen this in the past. And I think, you know, okay, if you really like Brian De Palma, it's an interesting sort of um, exercise, I suppose. Um, but I wouldn't. I think it's been forgotten for a reason. Uh, 
yeah and me- meanwhile i think we have a, a we have we have another thing like three watches it, it took me but i think i'm finally on board with red planet um it's it's one of those um uh it's it's what it's one of those films that just i think is yeah it, for 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 genre fan, fans it, it will be it will, it will be so some something truly great but you know uh so i think i think i can call it a gem as well so i think we have a consensus here right so it turns it, it looks like uh we've lost connection with uh jack so i think well it's but it, it's also a good uh, opportunity to bring this whole thing to a close um so uh carson where can we find you on social media uh, you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews or on Letterboxd, just Carson Tamar. So uh, I think I'll fill in for Jack and say, well, you can find Jack's rambles and uh, rants on uh, at Jack Look Sharp on Twitter and, and on Letterboxd. And you can find all our stuff as well on, on Clapper and in other places. You can find me at Talk About Film. Uh, and then, yeah, thanks for uh, tuning in to, to listen to us. Go at it for, and, and then just attempt to reappraise two uh, turns out two films from the year 2000 about people going to mars and failing miserably in doing so um and then yeah thanks for thanks for being with us and then hopefully you'll tune in in the next two weeks time uh when we'll hopefully look at uh, assassination nation and see uh, whether it is a, a gem or 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 something that's or, or something that's not exactly glamorous um, so yeah, with that in mind, so have a good day and uh, see you in two weeks time. Bye bye.